And a lot of restaurants fail for two reasons in my mind. One is the concept was flawed from the get-go. Or it was a great concept, but it was poorly executed. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with Michael Bonaccini. He's the judge of MasterChef Canada, but he's also one half of Oliver and Bonaccini. They have over 40 locations in Canada and own and operate some of the most well-known and respected restaurants in Toronto. He was born in Wales, but made his millions in Toronto. If you haven't already done so, click the subscribe button to get brand new content every single week directly to your feed. Michael, it is, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast and it's great to chat to you, so uh, thanks so much. Pleasure's all mine, thank you. Um, look, Michael, there's, there's, uh, there's so much to, to talk to you about. Uh, you, you have so much going on. So uh, I think, uh, if you will, uh, let me start by just asking you, I suppose, um, like how did a, a young man from, you know, born in, uh, in Wales end up in, in Toronto? Uh, great question. I ended up in Toronto f uh, because I was I was working at the Dorchester Hotel with Anton Mosiman and many times I had been taken by Anton to cook alongside him to take uh, British cuisine, the Dorchester cuisine, to such places as uh, California, the Beverly Wiltshire Hotel, where I actually met Danny Kay and cooked with Danny Kay, which was an amazing experience. Uh, cooking and working down in uh, in Texas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, uh, Johnson Wells Cooking School in in um, Rhode Island, uh, Virginia, and uh, I really got a taste for that sort of free spirit of uh, of, of North American way of life, the American way of life, and and the uh, uh, the land of opportunity, the land of milk and honey, so to speak. And I'd made my mind up that that's, that's where I wanted to go and work. But uh, little did I know, it was so difficult to try and get the right documentation to go to the States and work. So Anton suggested I would consider possibly Canada. And we used to have a guest that used to dine at the Dorchester Hotel who owned a small boutique hotel here in Toronto, just around the corner from where I live, called the Windsor Arms Hotel, which was a member of the Relais Chateau. So he'd reached out to him. Uh, he agreed to fly me out to Canada, spent a week as part of my interviewing process, and at the end of the week, he offered me the job as executive chef of this small 82-room boutique, Relais Chateau. And from that day forth, uh, my, my life changed completely, in a positive way, that is. Uh -huh. And I've never looked back since. Love it. Uh, that's been amazing. Uh, the, the, American, the American dream is alive and well, so by the sound of it. Um, and then... Um, Let's let's jump straight into it. Literally, uh, you opened up uh, your very first restaurant called Jump. Uh, kind of talk to me about about that because um, you know it, it seemed to kind of you seem to hit the nail on the head with something there. So kind of talk to me about that process of opening up Jump. Yes. Uh, yeah, Jump brings it all back to the very beginnings of Oliver and Bonaccini. I I was working at the time at a very busy, well-known 
restaurant in the city of Toronto called Centro that is unfortunately no longer around, I received a phone call from a headhunter asking if I'd like to meet someone that had an opportunity for me to get into business and be a partner in, in a restaurant. And I, being the ever uh, uh, intrigued by that, said, yep, I'd be happy to meet the individual. And we met, and it turned out to be Peter Oliver, who is my business partner and has been for the past 26 plus years. And we together really hit it off right from the beginning, and uh, we decided that we would work together, open up a restaurant called Jump, a restaurant that is about uh, North American big, bold cooking styles, big, bold flavors. It was a large restaurant of about 240 seats with the large patio during the summertime. And we poured our hearts and souls into this opportunity. Now, this was during a recessionary time and in the downtown core of Toronto, a part of the city that was void of any real serious dining experiences. So we felt that this would be a great opportunity. We struck a deal with the landlord that happened to be uh, a bank. They provided us a good amount of TI, tenant inducement money. We ended up having to borrow an, addi an additional $250,000 in order to finish off the restaurant in readiness to swing the doors open. And when we swung the doors open, it took off like a rocket. Uh, I go as far as saying that we, we were caught a little with our pants down, so to speak, and it was a tough, long slog for the first few months. Having opened mid to late October, it was on the doorsteps of the holiday season, which added its own kind of challenges because of the sheer volumes of people that wanted to dine. It was great to see. <clears throat> Excellent. And um, I suppose, uh, you know, you said it was a hit from the start, um, you know, uh, I'm long enough around now in restaurants that, you know, I know that, it's, you know, it's not all sail, um, you know, clear sailing and there are hiccups along the way. So I'd love to kind of, if, if you will, Michael, just for a second with me, kind of, and it's something that I really am interested in kind of exploring a little bit more in this podcast. A lot of my listeners are, are restaurant owners. Like, were there any kind of, uh, you know, going back to the, the start of Jump, were there any kind of difficulties or challenges that you met along the way? Yeah, I think the biggest challenges we had were the, the operational challenges out of the gate. We had a great design team, we had a great design in the kitchen, we'd come up with menus, we'd tried the menu dishes, we had done our costings, we'd hired our teams, we'd gone through our training, and we were as ready as we thought we'd ever be to swing the doors open. And when we did swing those doors open, they came pouring through. The restaurant just took off like crazy, and it was just a struggle every lunch, every dinner. And we cer certainly, we certainly learned that in the downtown core at lunchtime, timing is everything. The doors would swing open at 11:30. By 11:45, you'd have a lineup of 80, 90, 100 guests wanting to come in for their table. Guests that had booked a table of six become four, table of two become three. So there was this constant maneuvering and, and jiggery-pokery that had to go on in the front desk before you could take the guest to the table in order to maximize the seating and not to throw the, uh, the service team into a, into a tailspin. So some of the things we had to change was having our menus laid out on the table at lunchtime only in order to have a quick 
delivery of our guests to the table. We would put our bread and our butter out on the table just before we swung the doors open in order to eliminate another step. Our menu we had to re-engineer without compromising any of the quality, plate presentation and taste. We had to re-engineer it so that we could execute much more quickly and efficiently because that was key in the downtown business core. Not that there was a lack of appreciation of the service or the quality of food, it was more that we needed to speed things up, which is so important. And then in the downtown core, we discovered come 5, 5.30, a massive rush, grab a drink before heading home. Uh, obviously in the fall and winter season here in the city of Toronto, Everyone has coats, scarves, mitts, often a briefcase or their sports bag because they've just come from the gym. Well, we did not have enough hosting team members to be able to handle the coat check, the putting away of the scarves, the uh, hats, the briefcases. We had to increase that. We had to bring in more team members. In fact, my wife and my business partner's wife had to come in from time to time to help out when they could on the front desk, receiving guests and hanging up their coats. So all of that, we knew where we had to go and every single day we made slight improvements until we were able to get on top of things. And then it became the day-to-day -day routine of just really managing the operation on a daily basis. And it's never easy for those first three to four months. And back then there was no Instagram, there was no Twitter, no uh, social media as such. So the build-up typically would have been a slower takeoff, but because we were the new kid in the block downtown, as I said earlier, it just took off like a rocket and uh, we paid a little bit of the price, but we, we, won, we won them over in the end and that's key. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a great story. It's, um, you know, it's, it's probably something you never thought of that there'd be too many coats. It's funny how it's the, the small little things that catch you. And um, I suppose, uh, let, let's get right You've into never it. built a restaurant since that has, has been short on coat check area. <laughs> you learn a, a lesson right from the beginning and uh, it, it stays with you the rest of your life, that's for sure. Excellent, excellent. Um, the, I just, just on a slight aside for a second, Michael, I'd love to ask you about like obviously you're only one half of, of, of your company, uh, Oliver and Bonaccini, um, the other half being, and you mentioned your, your business partner, Peter Oliver. Um, I'd love to just kind of, I think it's very interesting because, um, you know, partnership is obviously one way, one way to open up a restaurant, but a lot of the times, you know, you see kind of problems there and, and, and kind of breakdowns in, in those business relationships. So like what, like what is it in, in, in your business relationship that kind of has worked? Yes, uh, a partnership is is definitely something that uh, there has to be a strong synergy there, otherwise it, it, it won't work. And as far as Peter and I are concerned, I truly and wholeheartedly believe that I have the best possible business partner I could ever have. And I like to think that he feels the same about me. Um, we, we, we have a variety of unspoken ethical rules that, that we're just gentlemen to one another. We respect one another's position, thoughts, ideas. Uh, we use one another as great sounding boards. 
you know, Peter is 11 years older than I am, and when we first partnered, he told me that he's made all the mistakes anyone can make in the restaurant business, and that's a good thing because we wouldn't have to make them all over again. Well, I'm not sure that's quite true because we've we've made our fair share of mistakes, but we have learned together and remedied, the, remedied those, remedied those uh, mistakes, and things have turned out really quite well for us. And I think part of the success is that I have a certain skill set, which is culinary-based, operational-based. Uh, Peter has a different skill set. He came from the business side of the equation, having studied business at university, uh, being a stockbroker, a commercial real estate uh, individual. And he got into the restaurant business many, many years ago and had a number of his own restaurants. So he does have some of that restaurant expertise as well. So it really is a yin and yang kind of thing. It's the strengths and weaknesses that when we work together, together we are so much stronger. It's, it's the sort of uh, the sum of the parts type of uh, equation. And for the past 26 plus years, it's been just a wonderful, uh, joyous working relationship that we thrive off one another. In fact, our, our, business, our official business partnership wasn't documented by our lawyers, or it took five years for it to happen. Not because we were arguing over various points, because neither of us wanted to really commit to it and, and, and get it done. And I remember when we did get it done, Peter and I said, look, we're going to put this in the bottom drawer of our desk, and we hope to God that we'll never, ever have to pull it out. And that document is still sitting in the bottom left-hand drawer of my desk, and it's never seen the light of day. So I'm very fortunate. Uh, excellent. And uh, you, you said it there, it has been uh, some successful ride. And um, can we, because obviously, as part of, you know, my interview, uh, you know, I've done my my due diligence and I've, I've, I've researched into your story and all that. And obviously I know I've heard about a lot of your restaurants including Jump that are kind of iconic over in Toronto, but I'll be honest, Michael, it, it's difficult to keep track and it's difficult to find all the different places you own over there. Cause you lit, you really, from the outside, it looks like you're an empire. So I'd love if you could just kind of quickly, Michael, run through all the different restaurants and concepts you have going on over there. If you will. Well, yes, I will do that. Uh, well, yep, we have a number of uh, operations, and I say operations loosely because they are restaurants, it is event venues, catering business, we're involved in strategic partners uh, such as pizzerias, chocolate shops, food supply chains, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they span, what, uh, one, two, three provinces, uh, and continuing to grow. So we're about 42 plus restaurants in total, but in the city of Toronto is where it all began and uh, it's the ones that really set the company on fire. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our two high-end bookend restaurants are Auberge de Pommier, which was a restaurant that Peter had before I became partners with him. And we rolled that into the partnership because it just made sense that way to fold it into the group of restaurants that we were building and growing. So Auberge is our oldest restaurant within the organization. It is uh, the ripe young age of 30, going on 33 years of age now, which is quite a, a milestone in, in any modern city, let me tell you. And then opposite that, downtown, we have Canoe Restaurant, which is on the 54th floor of uh, the Toronto Dominion Bank Tower, a restaurant that focuses upon uh, creative, innovative Canadian cuisine 
beautiful restaurant. Those are our two big bookends. Step down from there, I would say, would be our restaurant that we just spoke about, Jump Cafe and Bar. Then we have uh, Biff's Bistro, which is a very casual bistro that is uh, has a theater very close to it, so we do a, a good amount of theater business. Right next to that, we have Oliver and Bonaccini Cafe Grill, one of our more casual concepts. Uh, then a five-minute walk away, we have three concepts under one roof. Canteen, which is an all-day eatery from open from breakfast, lunch to late-night dining. Above that, a restaurant called Luma, which is the casual upper-end dining seafood restaurant, and then an event venue up on the sixth floor called Malaparte that has the most beautiful outdoor patio that looks across the entire city. Just fabulous. Uh, we have restaurants such as Leña, which is our Argentinian uh, South American flavors to it. Uh, and that sort of just names, what, half a dozen there uh, at least. We also run event venues, uh, some very large ones that are approximately 35, 38,000 square feet in size. And they can do anything from a small group of 25 in a private room to 750 guests. So they are really quite varied. And a spin-off from those event venues would be our catering business. And then we have strategic partnerships that we get involved in helping manage these restaurant operations that include um, Pizzeria Libretto, which make fabulous Neapolitan-style pizzas, uh, Soma Chocolate Shop, which our old pastry chef uh, started and uh, is the preeminent chocolate shop in Canada, and uh, a grocery, an Italian grocery, an Italian grocery supplier that. Um, was started by our old chef from Jump Restaurant. So it's great to see that we have a really wonderful family of operations amongst the team. Excellent. And uh, do, do you ever, uh, do you ever uh, kind of forget about some of them or do you ever forget how many you have? <laughs> no, there's just so many going on over there. <laughs> I never forget about uh, the restaurants themselves. The challenge for me is remembering the names with the employees in them and when they move around I'm scratching my head because I know that they used to work at Auberge but now they're at Jump and like different uniform and I just can't quite remember the name and that's it's a, it's a bit of a Rubik's Cube at times it's really uh, tough to stay on top of it but uh, it keeps me on my toes. And, and on that point Michael because um, like I said I, I, I've been very interested in your in your restaurant group um, and I was looking into it quite a bit, and it seems like, um, and look, I know every every restaurant and every business out there says that, you know, people are number one and, you know, staff are everything and all that, but, like, it really seems like from looking at your um, your company that, like, that is of, of huge importance, right, your team, and, and I'd love to kind of just get your your kind of view on that and, and maybe kind of what, like, what things do you do that, that, that seem to be different than other places? Yes. Well, it, it is true that, that the success of Oliver and Bonaccini as a hospitality company is fundamentally based in our employees. It is our responsibility as a company to hire the best possible employees we can find. And once we find those employees, we work extra hard to, to keep them with us because it is difficult to find really great staff and when you do 
it is in your interest to keep them as long as you can. And in order to keep them and, and make them grow and let them become the absolute best version of themselves, you have to, like a good garden, fertilize and, and, and feed them. And, and by way of that, I mean there are training opportunities, there are growth opportunities. We want to be able to create a work environment that allows each and every individual to achieve their full potential. They need to be in an environment that has great leadership, that is challenging, that uh, pulls out that incredible passion for whatever it is they do, whether it is an incredible host, an amazing bartender, a service team member, a server assistant, a young cook, a sous chef, any of those individuals, it is our responsibility to help them grow and, and become the best version of themselves. But let's not forget, it is always a two-way street. So those individuals, we look for self-starting, uh, motivated, engaging, determined, those that have um, uh, full of, 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 of mental and, and, and physical energy to make it happen. In fact, we have a Oliver and Bonaccini handbook that every single employee gets. And inside this handbook is our, our, um, our core values. We have four key core values. And if we were able to score a 9 out of 10 in this handbook, by using this handbook, which is our playbook, if you wish, then we will definitely be head and shoulders above any other restaurant operator out there. And that sounds very easy in principle, but the challenge is really putting it into action and bringing it to life. And those values, just for some input or some perspective, would be per personal energy, which under that personal energy heading would be such things as discipline and drive, ownership, and kick-ass creativity. Uh, second, uh, our second value would be collective genius. And under that heading is enlightened leadership, continuous improvement, and synergy through our bundles of uh, sticks. And that bundle of stick analogy represents that if we all work together with a common culture, with the share, same shared ideas, we will become stronger and better at everything we do. Our third value is inspired quality. And under that heading, there are such things as uncompromising standards. A love, and, a love of food and service, fanatical cleanliness, and operational excellence. And last but certainly not least, emotional service is our final core value. And under that heading, it incorporates intelligent, sincere service, food and wine knowledge, positive moments of truth, and impeccable style. And those subheadings, there are more details within the handbook in terms of how you can put those into action. And that really helps us get closer to our vision. And if I may just read our vision for the company, which is Oliver and Bonaccini will become iconic among the best managed companies in the world. Our standards of quality, service, style, training and development will be the benchmark of excellence 
and our guest's experience will be unparalleled. So everything that we have in our handbook that we can put into action by having every employee buy in on it and turn it into their uh, actions in every time they engage with a guest will get us closer to our vision through our goals. And that's that's really the, the crux of, of the success of Oliver and Bonaccini, if I'm being quite honest. Oh, that's incredible. It's, it's so... It just seems like so forward thinking than, than so many other like businesses even in general. But like, I want to just pick up on a quick point on that, Michael. Um, and like, I find this one hard to believe, but I remember hearing or seeing somewhere that for a long time, as your business was grown and, and you had a huge, huge amount of staff that like, when it came to the kind of the initial onboarding of staff that like, was it either yourself or Peter, like actually sat down with every single staff member, like, is, is that true or? That, that's very true. My, my business partner, uh, Peter, uh, part of his strengths, his toolbox, is very much the human resource side of things and, and understanding the value that each employee brings to their role within the company. And Peter, up until just a few years ago, would do the onboarding orientation of every single employee in the company and that was essentially a five-hour exercise and, and I'll tell you why it was five hours there were a couple of hours of uh, chatting about the core values and the importance of each individual within the company and Peter would always start off the orientations with this very line we need you more than you need us and that's absolutely true every single time. Because if you are a really good employee who appreciates working for a good organization, who has the skill set, who is eager to learn, who is incredibly passionate, you can get a job just about any way you desire. So that to me is, is a, a very important opening line. But part of that orientation would include either a lunch that would be served or a dinner. And over that dinner, I may join the table from time to time, or one of our corporate executive chefs or one of our regional uh, managers might join. And it's like the getting together of a family. It's, it's making them feel welcome. It's telling stories about hospitality, about O&B. It's finding out where they've worked before and what their goals in life are and expectations. And I think that's just a great way to bring employees on board. It, it's, it's immense. A, a wonderful foundation. Now we do it more using technology, uh, using uh, online pieces. We, we have an intercompany intranet website called O&B Buzz and that allows every employee to log on and uh, activate any of the training programs, find out what the company is up to, who's got a news piece coming out, who may be doing a little podcast, who knows. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, honestly, Mike, we could talk about that all day. I find that so interesting, but uh, we, we have only so much time. <laughs> so we, we'll move on. Um, and there's still loads to talk to you about. But um, I, I want to ask you kind of a, a real micro question now, Michael, if I will, right? Um, um, like, th there's listeners on this podcast, right, uh, that have, you know, one restaurant uh, or one small cafe, and, and, they, and they struggle to run, to run even one of them. Maybe they have two, right? Um, and they're probably listening to this and, and they're, they're egging me on to ask, ask you this question, so I'd be remiss not to, but 
like operationally might be of all these restaurants spread across as you said not just the city but beyond i suppose quite simply how do you run them all i i get that often i get asked that question often and uh i think the answer is we over the years have developed management systems for every aspect of, of running our business that are extremely important to the success of running multiple locations. And the challenge with a company like ours is that each of our restaurants is a unique restaurant concept unto its own. So they are different. They are from very casual to super high-end, or they may be an event venue that offers cocktail receptions, product launches, multi-course sit-down dinners, lunches, uh, annual general meetings for large companies. We operate a very diverse range of food service and hospitality businesses. So having systems set up that help us manage financial, hiring, developing, and training, and in terms of design, build-out, upkeep, are very, very important to the success of our organization. We also have regional managers that overview and overmanage multiple locations that their skill sets are best suited to as we do with our corporate executive chefs. Same thing. We'll have chefs that oversee three, four, five, or six units that are matched to their skill sets. Part of the toolkit in terms of managing multiple locations does also come down to the use of our handbook, the vision, and our mission in order to become the best managed company in the world. By every employee getting on board with understanding the things that we do at Oliver Bonaccini that are important to us, our standards, our expectations, our processes, our systems, is a big piece of how we run our business on a day-to-day -day basis. Without those foundational elements, it would be impossible to run more than two or three locations without pulling your hair out, without going frantic, without feeling that things are getting away from you. It's not easy, and there's lots of room for improvement and tweaking constantly. And that's so important because as an industry and as a company, you cannot sit on your laurels. You have to constantly be looking at new and innovative ways to improve how you manage and run your business. It is so important. And we, you know, at head office, which is uh, here in the city of Toronto, we have team members that are either in accounting, our marketing and communication, our human resource department, and uh, they also provide assets to the operational managers, to the general managers, to the chefs in terms of how we go about managing and running our individual operations.
And once it all comes together, it works really quite well. And the wonderful thing about our culture, our philosophy, is that it applies to a casual restaurant, a mid-range restaurant, a high-end restaurant. It applies to our event venues, our catering businesses. It, it, it really has no bounds as far as that is concerned. It really doesn't. No, that's absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much, Michael, for kind of giving us so much, going into such detail with your insight there, because I think that's, um, that's, you know, really going to bring a lot of value to a lot of people. And uh, if you will, again, and I apologize, but I'd love to go into the micro again and, and, and the detail on something else, which I think would be very interesting, which is kind of, I suppose, like when it comes to opening up a new location, right? Um, uh, like, I suppose, what are the criteria that, that you and, and Peter look at, uh, you know, when it comes to saying, like, look, okay, we, we will take this opportunity, like, like, you know, is it size, location, demographics, what type of things would you look at? Right. Obviously, opening a new restaurant is a very, very exciting proposition, but it's also, also a very risky and very costly proposition. So number one right out of the gate is you need to have a good business plan prepared, which includes a pro forma for your concept. You need to be able to understand how much revenue you think you can generate every single meal period, five, six, seven days a week, depending on how often you wish to be open. That, I would say, is number one. Number two is... The old adage used to apply many years ago, the three most important things of opening a restaurant is location, location, location. Well, I don't think it's quite that way any longer, certainly not in the city of Toronto. I think if you build a really great restaurant, provide incredible service, delicious tasting food, they will come. But what you do need to do is make sure that you negotiate a good deal when it comes to your occupancy costs because those occupancy costs are going to be the single largest fixed cost item on your business plan or your P&L statement. So you need to be able to make sure that you can negotiate a great rent deal. That is so important. The concept is extremely important and a lot of restaurants fail for two reasons in my mind. One is the concept was flawed from the get-go or it was a great concept but it was poorly executed. Either one of those scenarios is a no-win scenario in my mind. So you have to make sure that that concept fits the neighborhood, the demographic, the price point, providing value and that it can work financially based upon your financial modeling. Cash flow is so important to any business, but certainly a fledgling business when you're starting to get it off the ground. And there are many restaurants that fail in the early days because they do not have enough capitalization. They don't have the reserve funds to continue to run during tough times. And let's face it, uh, three out of five restaurants fail within the first two years. 
And that's, that's high risk. That's why banks don't like to fund restaurant businesses. So you've got to make sure that you have the capitalization in order to survive those tough times. And then last of all, I, it really does come down to, once again, hiring the right team members, creating a vision for that concept, having each employee buy in on that vision and execute it to the highest possible standards. I remember my business partner, Peter Oliver, telling me the great lemon juice story. And I've used it many times when I've gone to culinary schools and I'd cut half a lemon, I'd have a bowl and I'd squeeze the lemon and lots of juice would come out and I'd say, that's your rent money, that's your food cost, your labor cost, your interior design. This is your squeeze and a little bit more juice would be coming out. And this is your cost of repair and maintenance and menu printing and uniforms. I'd squeeze super, super hard and just a couple more drops would, would come out. This is your costs for ongoing marketing and, and sales drives. And then I'd squeeze, squeeze so hard and one drop would come out. And that oh. is your profit. And that's how difficult it is. And, and you, you've got to be prepared to be running that restaurant like a marathon. Because the longer you're open, the greater opportunity you have to make money. It's not a sprint. There's no get-rich-quick scheme in the restaurant business. Excellent. I, lo I love that. And I'll, I'll definitely be stealing that uh, lemon analogy. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, quick, <laughs> it's all yours. Quick, uh, quick couple to finish up, Mike. And I, I really appreciate, appreciate your time. And it, it's such an interesting chat. Um, but just, just out of curiosity, uh, when it comes to kind of a new, a new location or a new project that's lined up, like, uh, like, do you guys, do you actually look for these things? Do, do they come to you? Do you have any kind of, like, are you in talks with brokers and auctioneers and stuff, or how does that work? Great question. As a, as a well-known restaurant group, we are fortunate that many deals come across our desks for many reasons. Because we have a, a wide portfolio of various operations, uh, we get a lot of opportunities coming to us from real estate agents, whether it's a new development, a restaurant location that is brand new in a building that has just been released, or whether it's an existing restaurant that has just closed its doors and they approach us to see if we'd like to take over. But one of the greatest sources, and I think this is an important piece, we do not own the buildings that we're in, none of them. We rent everything. And many of our restaurants are in big multi-billion dollar buildings that are managed by large uh, management companies of buildings that are involved in, in various uh, uh, funds. If you as a restaurant operator do a really good job for a big landlord, trust me, they will come back to you time and time again with deals in dozens and dozens of locations. Right, right. Not just in the city of Toronto, because they will manage properties in other provinces, other parts of the world, other opportunities that they're looking at that are urban, suburban. So by doing a really good job with the landlords, they come back to you time and time again with incredible opportunities. And that 
is about forging great relationships with your landlords. Your reputation is all you have at the end of the day when it comes to which deal the landlord will give you. So having a restaurant operation that does an exceedingly good job just opens the doors to so many other opportunities. There are three major retail uh, real estate companies here in Toronto that we work with that bring us opportunities. There are opportunities that we get through our networks, but uh, there's no shortage of businesses that we look at. Many of them we say thank you, but no thank you. There are a certain few that we, we proceed with after we've done our due diligence and decide that they, uh, they look worthwhile taking the time to investigate further. Uh, there's no shortage, there are no shortage of opportunities out there in the world, let me tell you. Excellent. And Michael, we'll finish up on this point and, and on that very comment. Um, you know, just from, it, it's such a pleasure and it, it's inspiring for me to talk to you because there's, there's, a, there's an energy and a, and a passion that kind of comes off you just from talking to you. But, um, you know, it's been a crazy year, right? But um, you strike me as a man that's kind of constantly, in, and as a company that's constantly in growth mode and, you know, you're, you're constantly looking for the next opportunity. So, um First of all, is that true? And, and, and secondly, kind of like, what's the, what's the plan for the future in, with the company? We, we are always looking at growth opportunity uh, because we have a great number of employees that also want to grow. They want to take on more projects, more opportunities. And we now have, I think, a great skill set that we can apply to this, to this growth. We must never, ever forget what has gotten us to the party, and that would include going back routinely to revisit our handbook, our standards and qualities of each and every operation. Every month we sit down with a number of our team members for what we call our KPI meetings, our key point indicator meetings, to discuss ways that we can improve operations, better manage our food costs, better onboard our team members, share product knowledge and experiences. Any way that we can improve the way we operate is an ongoing piece of business. The exciting stuff is nailing down new deals, new opportunities, looking at new concepts, working on new concepts. And we do that by traveling to the United Kingdom going to eat and dine in London with a number of our team members. New York, Chicago, LA, uh, even Las Vegas. We, we become very inspired to generate new ideas when new openings uh, come our way. So yes, we keep busy. We keep ourselves fresh and alive that way and that is so, so very important. The restaurant business really is the most incredible business to be in. It, it is absolutely fabulous and when you've been bitten by that hospitality bug, it's tough to not be in it in, in, in so many different ways. And I hope that day never comes for me. I love what I do. I'm very proud of our organization, what we've achieved and our team members. And uh, it's uh, it's certainly been a lot of hard work, but the rewards are absolutely enormous, and I I have no regrets. We've closed the odd location from time to time, and and that's been 
that's been difficult. It's it's difficult to close the doors on something that that you own, that you wear, that you that you know you've poured your heart and soul into. But with my business hat on, you've you've got to know when to cut bait and move on and learn from that. Uh, it's it's a little bone chilling to talk about, but it's it's real. It it happens. It happens every single day. But we can benefit from those experiences so that hopefully it never happens again. But I love the industry and uh, I'm very fortunate to be in it and have the team and partners that I do have. Excellent. Michael, uh, you know, thanks, thanks so much for being so honest uh, and open in the conversation. And, uh, you, you, you know, you've, you've given me so much value there and for my listeners. So honestly, thanks so much. And I have a, I have a whole host of other questions, but unfortunately, we've only so much time. So hopefully I'll get you on the podcast and I'll get to chat again at some point in the future. Another day, another time. I look forward to it. Thank you, Evan. Thanks for watching the Business of Restaurants podcast with me, Evan O'Calley. For new episodes every single week, subscribe below.